I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. My question was, when is the flour dry enough to then go into the curing process? Did a little reading and, of course, found that uh, water activity is is that metric, even, even greater than the moisture content meters that some people would use. Today I'm joined by Dr. Allison Justice, who is the founder of the Hemp Mine located in South Carolina. Dr. Justice has combined her scientific education from Clemson University and her experience with cannabis producers in California to supply premium hemp in her home state. The Hemp Mine is known for its transparency to its customers and sound research. And in this episode, we discuss her highly regulated industry, current experiments, and use of water activity measurements. Let's hear what Dr. Justice has to say on water and food. Hello, uh, thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do and the industry that you are in? Yeah, so I am a, a PhD plant scientist, um, did my work at Clemson University. Um, most of my work there, well, actually all of my work there had nothing to do uh, with the industry that I am in now, except for it being still work with a plant, um, mainly controlled our agricultural um, studies with ornamentals and vegetable type crops. Um but now I am working with cannabis, um, something that at the time when I was studying was was not legal or even, you know, considered by my fellow peers to potentially be a, a career path. But <laughs> oddly, it, it turned out as one. And now I'm the, the founder and owner of the Hemp Mine, uh, which is a vertically integrated hemp company in South Carolina. So you did nothing with hemp or, or cannabis when you were in graduate school? I did not. I did not. Mm -hmm. I worked mainly with um, plants like pansies and poinsettias and and garden mums, which coincidentally uh, worked out quite well because the plants, as far as um, how you push them into reproduction, are very similar. Um, So that actually worked out in the positive at at this point. And what were some of your favorite memories about grad school or about being at Clemson University? I would say... Um, it was the, the freedom that my major professor, uh, Dr. Jim Faust gave me, um, you know, he basically said, you know, here's some parameters, but, you know, I want you to be able to explore and come up with your own project. And so my project involved a, a fungus, a, a endophyte, which I looked at and explored how, you know, pairing this endophyte with different species of plants how does it do different things so you know uptake nutrients or fight off different pathogens or um, even help promote rooting and so i was able to not only you know really get to dig in with plants but i also got to have a get a gain a lot of experience in mycology in um you know the study of of fungi and that was just really cool getting to kind of dip my toes into both waters and not just be in one Mm-hmm. And once you were done with graduate school, did you start the hemp mine right away or, or did you work somewhere else or, or what did you do before the hemp mine? So I consulted for a couple of years um, with greenhouses across the U.S. and again, mainly ornamentals. And eventually I just started getting calls for cannabis growers because, yeah, it's, it is a plant and there's a lot of similarities between um, cannabis and other crops. And so began consulting and 
fell in love with the plant and the opportunity for research with this plant and eventually moved out to California to be uh, VP of cultivation for Outco Labs, who is uh, a vertically integrated medical cannabis company. And so I stayed there for three, three and a half years. Um, and, and that was a really great experience because I, um, at that facility, I, I was originally hired on to design and build a two acre greenhouse, which at that time was the biggest cannabis facility in California, which was really cool to be a part of. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also had two indoor grow facilities and one outdoor um, as well as being vertically integrated. So I got to, to really gain experience with the whole, you know, production. Um, so everything from seed to sale, um, and then really gain knowledge with extraction and formulation, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it really set me up to be able to do what we do today at the hemp mine, which is that same exact, exact setup, except with hemp instead of a THC producing plant. So you took all that knowledge from grad school and then all this experience from California and then decided to start the hemp mine. Did, did you start this with friends or colleagues or how, how did you go about organizing this business? Well, I'm, I'm from South Carolina. And um, when I was out in California, South Carolina passed a bill to allow hemp production. And there were only 20 farmers approved that first year. And my family's background is farming of, of all different kinds. Um, you know, on the land we grow our hemp today, it, my grandparents grew cotton there. And then my parents had everything from tree production to hay production, cattle and greenhouses. And so they're farmers. Mm -hmm. So I encouraged my mom to apply for a license. And so she got a license. And then after, I guess a year, year and a half after, um, they started, growing hemp, we decided, hey, this is going really well. Um, you know, I'm going to move back and we're going to take this to the next level. And so it is, it's a family endeavor. Um, my brother and sister and mom all work here. And then uh, one of my best friends from college, Travis Higginbotham, um, he works here as well. So pretty much a family endeavor. Yeah, that sounds like a, a great group to be a part of. That's awesome that your your family can be there together and what, what are the goals of the hemp mine? What are you trying to provide or what makes your company different? Well, um, you know, as, as you guys are, are beginning or, you know, I guess have the past couple of years worked in the, the cannabis industry, um, you know, promoting the water activity meter, you know, you, you find that uh, it, it's not always a, a lot of trustworthy people in the business or maybe not for the right reasons. Um, and so it, it makes it very difficult to know who to trust in the industry. Mm -hmm. And so something we try to do is be very transparent in everything we do, whether it's what's in a tincture bottle or whether it's, you know, what's the background of, of this genetic that we're, we're growing and breeding. And, you know, what are, what's the data we collected from last year that we can provide you the data this year where you can grow successfully um, and, and, and make money and, you know, feel confident doing the next year. So transparency is something we really strive for uh, no matter what we're doing. But, you know, I would say long-term goal, the, the biggest part of the hemp line is, is our plant production unit. Um, we grow vegetative liners and sell those across the U.S., um, distributed out of six different greenhouse partners, um, while the breeding is actually taken here in South Carolina. 
so I, I would say plant genetics is is where we're headed. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like transparency is is really important as well as being a, a science driven um, company. Um, some of the experiments that you've recently done on post harvesting caught my attention, and I was wondering if you could talk about those experiments and um, what your goals were there. Post harvest is very exciting for me. Um, you know, one reason why this plant was so exciting for me is because there's so little research done, and you know that's fault to um, regulation and it just being something that uh, was was done successfully in the black market, but at the same time, things were done from simple trial and error, not necessarily based off of science. Um, and even more so, universities weren't there to pitch in and, and help figure things out. So, you know, even though the, the plant science itself is lacking, you know, even more so, the post-harvest phy- physiology is, is extremely lacking. Um, and so, when I was at Outco, we did what I called to be the, the burp experiment. Mm-hmm. And so that, to, to just explain what the burp is, um, you know, you, you grow your, your cannabis flower, you dry it and you dry it for, you know, many reasons why you dry other foods where it, it preserves, it doesn't spoil. Um, and then you cure it. And so, you know, when you say cure, you th- might think of wine, or, or another type of food. But, you know, the problem is you can't compare it one-to-one exactly as you would, you know, or even tobacco. You know, mm-hmm. there's some very different processes that are going on. And the thing is, we don't even know what's, we don't even know what's happening, much less know how to manipulate it. And so the BURP for me, the BURP project was just to try to wrap some data points around what's even going on. And, you know, the, the cure traditionally is taking that dried hemp flower right after it's dried, put it in a bucket. And I would say 99% of the people in the cannabis industry, it's just basically a five gallon bucket from Home Depot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you put it in there and, you know, at this point it's an art. So it could be for three days for this grower. It could be 14 days. It could be 30 days. It's, you know, whatever your experience is showing to be the best results or whoever taught you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it comes out and there's theory all over it. You know, it's, it's removing of nutrients, which makes no sense. It's um, uh, you're the exchanging of gases. Okay. Well, which gases and which ones can we add to make that process better? We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyways, I, I did a, a fast and dirty version one. Uh, where we put it in buckets, we measure CO2, um, we measure oxygen, humidity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And we're also taking water activity before and throughout. And so, you know, what we really could take away is that there's a lot of CO2 being put out by the plants. Why? Don't know yet, but we at least know that fact. Um, you know, the, the oxygen meter, just to be honest with you, it was not reading correctly. So that's going to be something we repeat, obviously, mm-hmm. um, um, as well as ethylene was something we measured. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the ethylene that was put out by the curing process was so much that it was over the capacity of our, our testing unit. So when we repeat, we're going to have um, a, a different unit to be used to be able to, to test ethylene because Ethylene for for me specifically is is something that's very interesting. You know, I back in grad school, 
when I dealt with post-harvest, it was taking cuttings. So, you know, you have a, a poinsettia plant, you take a small portion of the tip, and then you you either stick it or, you know, something we were looking at a lot is what's happening during shipping. Because in poinsettias, most of the stock plants are grown in South America and they're shipped up to the U.S. And if there's too much ethylene, they'll rot. But if you think about bananas, you want to give bananas at a certain time ethylene where they will ripen, where they're nice and enjoyable. Right. So, so if, if, if this flower is putting off a lot of ethylene, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Do we want to inhibit that or do we want to encourage that? We don't know. Mm. Um, so at least wrapping our heads around what's being produced naturally is step one. And then from there, we can you know, do different things to inhibit or, um, or add to. So that's something, again, we will be looking at in greater detail. Um, but I think the, the one really big takeaway from that project was um, that curing is a homogenization process. So our, our water activity, you know, when we took it beforehand, keep in mind, it was about a week of drying. And so obviously the outside of the bud is going to um, dry out faster and the middle will be wetter. And, you know, over time that'll work itself out. But what we found is that the water activity um, was lower when we pulled it out of the drying room, put it in the bucket, and then at the end we tested again and it showed that the water activity was higher. And so these are sealed buckets. And so we're not, you know, it, the theory is not that somehow water or moisture got into the bucket and, and made everything a higher water activity. It's more of that the all the buds are, are homogenizing. And so the water is evenly distributing through the buds. And so, um, you know, the, a lot of people guessed that, but I think that was probably the first time that anybody put a number on it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was really cool to find, but obviously so much more to learn about what's happening <laughs> in that bucket. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're just, we're just touching the surface here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this process uh, really reminds me of winemaking and, and same thing, that caring process. You know, a lot of people do it in a, a very artistic way or a traditional way, but it, it sounds like you are trying to put science first and, and trying to put some numbers around what's actually happening um, during this, this burp experiment. Um, what what are your water activity values? Are you trying to target a certain water activity or why is water activity important for understanding this process? Uh, it, it's very important. Um, so obviously for, for safety purposes, we have to dry it down to a certain percent or, or the microbes, which are there, um, you know, basically, but you know, it's, it's also important because uh, again, the cannabis industry has kind of been, um, you know, working from the ground up. And when I first got to Alco, you know, the, the guys were trying to explain to me, well, when is uh, my question was when is the flower dry enough to then go into the curing process and mm -hmm. they, they grabbed a stem and you know they bent it and at the time it it didn't make a noise it just bent and they said well this still needs to dry some once it's dry it'll snap and so you know for me that was a little bit bothersome <laughs> so this uh, is the snap test uh, that we've heard about 
yes, this is the snap test um, that you'll actually hear crack when you bend the stem. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, for for myself and uh, the PhD chemist that was on staff, you know, that was a little bit mind boggling. And we, <laughs> we knew there had to be a better way. Mm -hmm. And so did a little reading and, of course, found that uh, water activity is is that metric um, even even greater than um, the moisture content meters um, that some people would use. Um, we, we found that to be the standard and, you know, immediately went down that road. And after we were able to put some metrics around, well, what should it be at, at certain points during the drying process? Uh, we ended up being very happy with, with that move. Did you investigate different curing conditions? So are you using different environmental conditions or what does that part of your experiment look like? Well, you know, we, we had to start somewhere. And if you ask just about anybody in the cannabis industry, the goal is to um, have it about 60% relative humidity and about 60 degrees Fahrenheit temperature. Mm -hmm. So um, we started there. Um, and and at that metric, we ended up having um, dry flower at about seven days. And so, you know, you hear everybody saying, oh, well, if you go 30 days, 14 days, you'll have a, a much better um, uh, product. And so I got to reading through the journals out there and um, botrytis is one of the biggest problems during drying because, mm -hmm. you know, mo if not dry enough, mold can grow. Um, but at the same time, we didn't want to dry too quickly because that would volatilize the terpenes. And so the plant would lose, you know, the, the good smells that you want to keep. So um, in reading, we found that botrytis will not continue to grow under about 0.8. And so our thought there was, well, let's very quickly get it down to that 0.8 where the botrytis will cease and continuing to grow and then let's try to stretch out that time period um, instead of four or five days let's let's stretch it out to about two weeks staying stable right under the 0.8 mark um, above the 0.7 mark which was it took quite a few times to figure out how to get the room to allow the plant to stay within those parameters mm -hmm. um, which, which actually ended up being, um, you know, a, a lot of dehumidification at first and then actually kind of riding um, with the help of foggers. And so that's how we kept the, um, the water activity stable. Um, again, looking through journals, we saw that um, a lot of the enzymatic activity continues to work uh, within a plant between that 0.6 and point, well, point 0.7 and point 0.8. Um, so whatever it is that is happening with the, the plant at that point, which, you know, I like to kind of think of it, if, if you're keeping it wet enough, it's almost a zombie plant, you know, mm -hmm. not necessarily a, a flower, but a plant, if it's not all the way dried, it has the potential to, to come back to life and maybe be rooted. Um, so it's kind of that halfway in between where there are enzymatic activities happening. So um, the goal there was to keep it, um, you know, for about 10 days, but at that higher water activity level and then dry it off at the end very quickly to be basically what um, the, a consumer would prefer. Mm -hmm. 
And so that was kind of the setup we had going for, for drying. And as you get ready for a second round of experiments, have you already started some new experiments? Um, and what are the goals of, of this next round? And, and what are you changing or what are you adding to those experiments? Well, the the most, I guess, this next round of experiments, we're not going to do too much with the actual drying step. Um, I want to kind of keep that you know, just, just one step for drying, probably do the 60-60 just to be standard. And then what we'll really look at is, um, is what's happening in curing. Mm-hmm. So before, um, you know, measuring before and afters there. Um, well, I guess one other big thing we did find in the first burp experiment was uh, that those five gallon buckets that, you know, even the ones with the gaskets, they're not airtight. Um, we had CO2 sensors in the rooms, so ambient, and then CO2 sensors in the buckets. And what we found is that daily you would see a spike of CO2 um, basically spiking at lunchtime. And so, you know, we were able to correlate that exactly with the ambient uh, CO2 sensor. So they were in the rooms with the trimming team. And so all that CO2 is actually coming from the trimming team and it was getting inside the bucket at the, the same rate. So um, what we're going to do in this next experiment is, is use that bucket just because it is the standard bucket. Um, you know, we need to understand what's happening there, but then we'll also use, uh, I had decided yeah, either glass or stainless steel, truly sealed container um, where there's no effect from the ambient gases of, of what's in the room that it's in. And if someone listening wants to learn more about your research, is it published somewhere? Is it available for um, listeners to read? Where, where can they find out more about this experiment? Uh, so the the first burp experiment, um, there's a PowerPoint on, I think it's called SlideShare. Yeah, the, it's correlated with LinkedIn, the SlideShare. Um, this next experiment I'm actually doing with Clemson University. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'll try to give some sneak peeks on my Instagram, but uh, we'll actually publish that one. So it might take a little while to get that wrote up. <laughs> yeah, definitely takes a, a while, but uh, we'll make sure to watch for it. Um, one thing that I, I wanted to touch on, and I probably should have asked this earlier, but, you know, a lot of people when they hear about cannabis and hemp, um, they they kind of get confused by what it all means. Could you maybe take a step back and just describe some similarities and key differences to our listeners between cannabis and hemp? Yeah, that, that's definitely a confusing one if, if you're new to cannabis in general. Um, and so let's start with that. You know, they're, they're both hemp and marijuana. They both are cannabis sativa. You know, it is the same plant. It's just um, a plant that has diverted to be a high THC plant. So a plant that that will in fact get you high to a plant that produces a different metabolite, a different cannabinoid CBD or CBG, um, which does not get you high, which we would say is hemp. Mm. Um, They, they look almost exactly the same. um, But some, again, were either bred for a certain purpose or um, originated from a certain area where just in the wild, you know, it either by nature was high CBD, high THC. But, um, you know, for us, uh, the biggest thing is, is law, is regulation. And so for this plant, cannabis sativa, law defines it as 
this plant if containing under 0.3% THC. So if it contains 0.4%, it's technically marijuana. If it's 0.3% or under, it's hemp. And that could be hemp that's grown for CBD. That could be hemp that's grown for fiber production. And is that percentage, that 0.3%, is that a national standard? Is that state by state? And are there people pushing to change that percentage? Yeah, that, that's a federal standard. Um, and absolutely, um, you know, I think if everyone, I think if they moved it to 1%, everyone would be very, very happy. Um, it, it's quite impressive to see how different um, in terms of yield specifically for CBD, how different a plant behaves at that 0.3 regulation versus even even 0.8. You know, it's you have very, very different plants, just, just how the genetics work um, from that difference. So, you know, if we could go to 1%, nobody's getting high on 1%. And <laughs> You know, it, it would just provide a lot more opportunity for the farmer, for the breeder, for mm -hmm. the industry as a, as a total. And my last question today for you is, you know, you've transitioned from graduate student. You were a VP of cultivation, now a co-founder and founder. What advice do you have for students or young professionals uh, about growing their careers and, and taking it to the next level? I would say put yourself out there. Um, you know, take as many internships as you possibly can, you know, be willing to move. Um, if just, for example, if you're a Clemson student and you want to get in the, this industry, you know, get out there to, to California, to Colorado, where they've been doing this a long time and, and network and, you know, get your hands dirty doing trimming, you know, do, doing all those things that, um, will, will really, pump you up to have a, a nice resume for when you are done with your studies, you know, you're not just a 4.0 student, but you also have these experiences. And now you have, you know, the, the VP at that company to give you um, recommendations. Um, that says a lot. You know, the other thing that's kind of cool now versus even when I was in grad school is that Instagram is a, a huge networking tool. You know, a lot of people are, um, I don't know why it worked out like this, but um, Instagram is a huge tool for cannabis and marijuana companies, um, as well as, you know, growers of those companies having their own Instagram and they're willing to talk to you and they're willing to share some things they're doing. So it's very easy to just, you know, look through your phone and, and try to network that way um, and, and keep up to date with what is going on in the industry. So you know, biggest thing, just put yourself out there and get experience and, you know, try your hardest when you do get those opportunities. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Justice. We, we really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to getting this episode out there. Um, we'll include your, your Instagram, if that's okay with you, when we post this so that anyone listening, if, if they want to learn more about your experiments or, or just connect, that they can do that. So thanks again, Dr. Justice. Yeah, thank you. I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. Find this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.